Welcome to the latest episode of Oxygen Starved, the podcast that brings you your ABCs, adventure, books, and conversations from 11,000 feet with your esteemed hosts, Dr. Stacy Adler of the Mono County Office of Education and Mr. Christopher Platt of the Mono County Free Library. Hey listeners, welcome to another episode of the Oxygen Starred Podcast, where we bring you your ABCs, adventure books, and conversation from 11,000 feet. If you're listening, you probably recognize I'm Christopher, and with me as always is co-host... Stace, and our intrepid producer, Doug. Hey, Doug. Hi, Doug. Top of the morning to you. <laughs> it's it's uh, thirty isn't, in the afternoon. <laughs> Oh, that's right. But, but it's, it happens this month, right? It does happen this month. Yeah, I'm just, I'm yes. the, I want to get a good start. And after uh, recent sort of activity in our department in the last couple of weeks, I actually right. want to go drink about six green beers tonight. <laughs> will you enjoy those green beers? And, and I, uh, I will stay at home and I will be be properly you know, tended. But <laughs> I, think, I think it's we're, we're nearing about six. I think we should do an episode where we all have some green beer or some <laughs> alcoholic beverage. <laughs> that could be kind of scary, but it could I, be a lot of fun. Yes, <laughs> also could also be the end of my career. Um, <laughs> yeah. all, th- all three of us are in that category. Yeah, here, we're, we're done. <laughs> you know what I always loved about the expression top of the morning is it, it always made me think, well, the rest of the day is downhill from here then, right? Do you think that's what they meant? Ooh, I like that. Oh, that's so Irish and ironic, you know? (laughs) I didn't mean to go philosophical on this, but at any rate, maybe our listeners have a better understanding of where that came from. (laughs) If you do, let us know. (laughs) (laughs) And now my mind is going to shamrock shakes, which is also (laughs) not good. Okay, let's talk books, Stace. Yes, yeah, we definitely need to get off of this line of conversation. (laughs) Well, and for this episode, you know, every once in a while, uh, we pick a different genre or a Mm -hmm. a different style of book. And for this episode, we thought we would talk about some young adult novels, right? Yeah, we haven't done this for a while, so it's kind of fun to get back into that genre again yeah and we each picked different books this time last time i think we both read john green books so yeah we have totally different books this time and i of course went to my best source for young adult books the young adult who lives in my house who is an an avid reader she is a very avid reader and she is she is a lover of the dystopian novel (laughs) loves them and there are a lot of them in the young adult age group, we should there, say. There really are. And, of course, you know, the world was taken by storm with the Hunger Games trilogy that came out, of, you know, a while right. back. And then the subsequent movies, of course. So this book that I read is called Matched. And it's by uh, an author named Ali Condi, who's from Colorado, grew up in Colorado, a mm-hmm. former English teacher, no less. So shout out to English teachers. Um, and matched is the first novel of a trilogy, a dystopian novel. Mm -hmm. And I really, I enjoyed it a lot. And Tessa's gone ahead. She's re she's on the second or third novel, you know, part of the trilogy now. But, um, so it tells the story of 
a young woman named Cassia. And of course, she lives in this society that um, is very prescribed. Mm-hmm. And she, you know, she lives with her parents and her younger brother, and she goes to school. And um, in this in this society, they match you with your intended partner so that you have the optimal odds of having a happy life and having the, you know, correct amount of children and et cetera, et cetera. And so as the novel begins, Cassia is matched with her best friend. And that's very rare that you know who you're matched with. Okay. And, but then something happens and there's a little glitch and suddenly she's matched with somebody else. Hmm. And then it flips back and she's matched with Xander again. So, and then the society tries to cover up what happened. And, and then of course, as you know, the, as the novel goes on, you see other kinds of, as she becomes friends with another boy, Mm -hmm. you kind of start to see, you know, how this society is kind of maybe falling apart. Interesting. And the, Interesting thing about this book is that you can find, if you are a fan of dystopian novels or dystopian movies, every single television series or movie or book that has ever come before this, that trope is in this book. (laughs) Gets a little bit of everything? You get a little bit of everything. So you have, you know, the fact that they're in this one society, but there are these outer regions you know, where other people presumably live that you don't know anything about. So a little bit of Hunger Games there, right? (laughs) And then, you know, you have them all learning, or Cassia is, you know, kind of learning to hike and learning to, you know, kind of be on her own. I mean, it's just very, there are a whole bunch of different kinds of tropes. You know, they get, they, in this society, they die when they turn 80, So when you turn 80, that's it. You're done. You don't get any more time. A little bit of Logan's run there. Yeah, it's exactly what my husband said. He's like, oh, my God, it's like Logan's run. And, of course, you know me. I was like, I don't know what that is. So, of course, he had to tell me. So, How can you be a child of the 70s and not know Logan's run? You know, I, like, had a very sheltered existence as a child. Oh goodness! No, it was. It's just um, you know there were others too, and I can't. It's been a long day already, and I can't come up with them. But it was. um, I just I really enjoyed the characters. You know, um, they're very engaging. I could see why this is a a trilogy. Like Mm -hmm. you know, coming to the end of this book, you definitely there's definitely lots of room for lots more story. Mm-hmm. And, um, but, you know, we, we talked about a book, um, a while back on the podcast called Vox, you know, where the women are all, you know, they have to wear cuffs and, right. you know, there was elements of that in this too, you know, right. where the, the women are, you know, kind of prescribed into, you know, what they do and, and really everybody is. And I don't know why, but I, I kind of love those dystopia you know the the giver you know that there were elements of the giver in this too uh, which is one of my favorite books of all time that is a great book 
But the, you know, just kind of thinking about the possibilities of what life could be like. Right. You know, if you live out somebody's imagination. So um, this whole notion of an arranged match or like, it's like an arranged marriage in a way. Right. right? Yes. So do, does the story um, go into, or do the characters kind of go into this notion of personal choice and personal agency versus this arrangement, or is it just kind of accepted? I, it's definitely accepted and and they, and they get very excited. So their matching ceremonies, um, is very, you know, they get all dressed up and they choose a dress and they go to this big banquet with their parents and they eat this amazing food. And then everybody, you know, they're called one by one and, um, so, you know, it's a, it's a big deal and they all get very caught up in it. And, um, and then shortly thereafter, it seems, then they get, they're like done with school and they get their jobs, you know, and then they're, they're kind of moving on with their lives. But I, I just thought the iron, the, not the irony, but the, how strange to be matched with somebody via an algorithm, right? You know, it's not even like the parents getting together and saying, okay, well, you know, we want our families united or what right. have you. It's an algorithm. And they they do this in the society because they're trying to optimize successful marriages and families. Right. So right. and so that was kind of like that was a little odd. <laughs> Well, that's interesting, though. I just, you know, yeah, it's interesting. You know, we've talked about this before with YA literature as well. That it's it's um, it's much more complex these days. the The novels that are written are much more complex and delve into social issues in a way that they didn't necessarily do so much when we were that age, right? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I certainly don't remember any reading anything like this at all or, or anything like the hunger games or the giver. I can't even think of anything close. Right. Um, in fact, I don't even know if there was necessarily science fiction for middle school, you know, young teenagers. Um, when, you know, when I was a kid in the Flintstones time, but um, (laughs) we all jumped right into 1984. Like, yeah, I mean, it, it, it's, it's seriously, and it, this really does hit on a lot of themes that young people can sink their teeth into, you know, and really relate to, like you mentioned the, the personal choice and the, the angst over, you know, what, what job they're going to be assigned to, you know, for most kids that it's not that, but it's, you know, where am I going to go to college? And, you know, what's my future going to be like? There's a lot of, you know, that kind of theme and the, you know, seeing, seeing your parents struggle for the first time, you know, when, when you finally hit that, that age where you could see when your parents, don't really know everything and, right. and they're just struggling to get from one day to the next, just like you are. Right. You know, yeah. um, that's definitely, um, you know, a theme in the, in the book. And, um, yeah, I, I can't say for sure that I'm going to go and read the rest of the trilogy because <laughs> <laughs> more, more so because we have a podcast to do in two weeks and I've got to read, 
our next book, but it's, it was very engaging and there's lots um, because these haven't been made into movies yet. Right. There's a lot of opportunity for kids to see pictures in their minds and imagine what these people look like and right. what their world looks like. And cool. Um, I, I love the, that opportunity for kids. So that's matched by, by Ali Condi. And we have it at the library. So yeah. listeners can gra- stop by the one kind of libraries and grab a copy if they're interested in it, which we encourage you to do. Yes. And how about you, Christopher? Well, I chose, um, I'm going to talk about one book and then I'm going to briefly mention another one that just kind of came to my attention recently. And there's a reason why. But uh, the first <laughs> book I'm going to talk about is called Me Moth. M-O-T-H, by Amber okay. McBride. It just came out. It's it's a novel. Okay. And uh, Amber McBride is a poet and a professor, and this is her first novel. And, in fact, the book came out to great reviews. It was nominated for a Morris Award um, uh, this year, which is an award for debut YA authors. So she came out of the gate with this book. Wow. And the main character is a teenager named Moth, And you learn on page one that she is the one who got the weird name in the family from (laughs) her perspective, Um, but she's come to some peace with it. You also learn early on she's living with her aunt in Virginia because her own parents and brother were killed in a car crash, an accident that Mm. Moth herself survived, but, you know, of course, left her orphaned and derailed her budding dancing career. There's frequent references to she was going to be the next Misty Copeland, Mm. go to Juilliard, all that kind of stuff. So here she is, a a junior in high school, which is already an awkward time for many teens. You know, she's the character is scarred emotionally and physically, and she's dropped in a community and in a school where she feels kind of alien and invisible. And in comes the other main character, whose name is Sonny. He's a Navajo boy her age, uh, really into creating music, himself new to the area, himself dealing with a harsh home life and a depression and, you know, clearly feeling somewhat invisible himself. Um, and he's kind of that bad boy outsider character. And he and Moth are drawn to each other because as, you know, creative types battling a lot of internal demons, they each see each other in a way that the teens and adults around them do not, right? They mm-hmm. recognize things in each other. Um, and I will say the chapters where Moth and Sonny are first meeting and getting to know each other are some of the best parts of the book. They're really deftly written in a way that captures all that hope and angst and mm-hmm. uncertainty of like first crush, first love kind of thing yeah. when you're a teenager and in high school. Um, I won't give away how, but the story evolves as so many young adult novels do into a type of quest when Moth and Sonny embark on a cross-country trip to find his biological father back in the Navajo Nation. Um, I won't say really say anything more about the plot because it would start to give away too much. Mm-hmm. McBride herself, I should point out, the author is a dancer and she's a poet. She has Navajo ancestry in her family, which inspired her to write this novel. And you kind of feel her own creativity and desire to shine a light on that part of her background as you're reading it, as well as her own black hoodoo ancestry. She's African-American drawing you effortlessly through this story. And I say that because the novel is written in verse. She's a poet. She's written this novel in verse. It's kind of free form, um, but that shouldn't intimidate readers. And in fact, I think it actually makes it kind of easier to read. Um, Uh And it lets her as the author guide you to the words or turns of phrases that she wants you to land on, which is a kind of an interesting way to move through a story. Right. Um, 
And I will just restate how McBride gets the emotional aspects of her two main characters so precise and beautiful, which is necessary because, you know, survivor's guilt is a feeling Moth is wrestling with continuously through the book. And abuse and depression are issues that Sani is wrestling with. And they are handled with care and, you know, in a way that teens who are reading this could appreciate and understand. So... You know, so I was gonna I was gonna ask you about you mentioned survivor guilt just now mm-hmm. and I was gonna ask you, is that kind of you know what moth is you know, her whole ethos is all about this having this guilt. It really is as well, at least at this portion in her life, right? You know, mm-hmm. you're you're a teenager going through this. It's all, you know, even more heightened. Right. Um and it really does underpin her relationships. It underpins her decision-making and her, her developing relationship with Sani, which, which makes it an interesting read because, you know, at times it's like very much like reading a teen novel. Like, you know, it's, you know, they're two teens right. getting to know each other. And then at other times it's like reading two people who've been through very difficult situations getting to know each other, which on a different level. And, uh, and, you know, I should point out, you know, she's damaged from the car wreck physically too. She has a big mm. scar down her face, so it's nothing mm. she can ever hide. hide. Yeah. Um, so, um, you know, it's, it's nothing she can ever really get away from. So I think it's really interesting that the, this it's a novel written in verse. And I'm curious if that, if the language when you're writing in verse has to be so precise that I'm wondering if it, did you feel like you didn't get enough description or enough information because the language had to be so specific? I'm guessing the language had to be so sparse. It is very exact. Yeah, it is sparse and exact. And that's partially what makes it a good read because she's handling very difficult topics. So she has to be very careful with how, how she's writing it. And I'm one of these people who loves atmospheric novels. Give me Mm -hmm. all the description and the dark and stormy (laughs) nights that you can. But I will say the writing here is just so beautiful that there's an emotional wave that carries the reader through alongside Mm -hmm. Moth and Sani through, through their story. Um, yeah, I just so you don't feel it. you are missing. It was. It's not missing anything because it's not written in normal sentence structure. No, and in fact, I kind of had the same reaction that one of the reviewers had, which was, you know, you get to the last page and you kind of want to start it over again to see if you get oh. anything more out of it. Uh-huh. Um, and that's a very rare thing for me. I don't reread books all that often unless mm-hmm. I don't feel like I fully understood them. But this one, I feel like I fully understood, but I could get more out of if I read it. Uh, more and I could see this hitting high school curriculum uh, someday. You know, like yeah, there's a lot to talk about um, sure. in this book as well. And again, you know, she's uh, she's a poet and a professor, so she knows you know what she's trying to convey and and right. all that good stuff. So that is Me Moth by Amber McBride. That's the first book I'm going to recommend. Okay. We have it at the library. And then another book I'm really just going to quickly bring to people's attention that we also have at the library is called The Downstairs Girl by Stacy Lee. This is a novel that came out a few years ago to great reviews. It's about a 17-year-old Chinese-American orphan, basically, living in a basement in Atlanta 
in the 1890s. So oh, this wow. is historical fiction for okay. teens. And, and this young woman has to work as a maid for a wealthy family who, of course, doesn't really appreciate her. Um, and she secretly, uh, I won't tell you how, but she secretly starts writing an anonymous column in an Atlanta newspaper that's kind of like an advice punditry kind of column. And, and you know, I think it's called Miss Sweetie or something like that. So no one knows who she is, but she's a great writer. And she has, um, and this is kind of the humor of the book, she is very forthright in her opinions <laughs> as a 17-year-old As a girl star, yes. Yeah. <laughs> so she uses this column as a mechanism to pour out her thoughts and opinions on society's issues around race and women and other things. And, of course, it stirs up a ruckus because this is 1890s Atlanta, right? Right, right. Um, the book itself was a Reese's YA book club pick, you know, Reese Witherspoon's mm-hmm. book club stuff. And I bring it up now and mention it because it was recently optioned to develop into a TV series. Um, so if you're a fan like I am of the current Julian Fellows TV series, The Gilded Age. I love that show. Right. It's set in the 19th century in New York City and deals with similar issues and actually even has a similar character. Um, yes. A young woman of color who's also a writer, mm-hmm. um, but has to do a day job, kind of a demeaning day job. You might be interested in reading The Downstairs Girl before it becomes a TV show. So my interest is definitely peaked. <laughs> it's a great For read. Sure. It, it deals with serious issues, but there's a great deal of humor in it as well. Stacy Lee has written a handful of really well-reviewed YA books, mostly historical fiction and, and all with Chinese American main characters. So um, again, this is called the downstairs girl by Stacy Lee. We have it at the library as well, or you can find it in a bookstore. I just wanted to bring it to people's attention because of that gilded age connection. We could. Go, I'm. I'm restraining myself from like launching into a whole another podcast episode about that. But um, <laughs> we'll talk. We'll talk. Um, it sounds really good, and so does Me Moth. So yeah. thank you for for sharing those for sure. Good. All right, listeners, check out Matched and Downstairs Girl and Me Moth and for some young A literature, and let us know what you think. And in the meantime, take a deep breath and we'll be right back. Ample oxygen is a basic requirement for human molecular metabolism. Welcome back, listeners. We have come to the conversation portion of our podcast, and we're so delighted today to have with us Jacinda Croissant, public health nurse from Mono County. Welcome, Jacinda. Jacinda. Thanks for having me. Well, we're we're glad that we finally that I didn't screw up the date again, and we finally got you here. <laughs> so, thank you so much. Yeah. Well, we always start out by asking our guests, "How did you get to Mono County?" Well, <clears throat> by car. <laughs> <laughs> Um, well, we've had people say hitchhiked before. Yeah, so. yeah, we, yeah we have. Yeah. <laughs> so I actually was living in Europe before I came to Mono County for my position with the health department. And so I was living in Chamonix, France, and wow. I saw the, the job opening and I, I knew I liked the area. I'd come out here for climbing and exploring. So I was, I was pretty excited to apply for the position and I, 
was the only one that applied, so it made it really easy. But yeah, that's where I was prior to coming to Mono County. Were you born in in France? No, you would think by my name I would have been, but (laughs) (laughs) no. um, I was just living over there for, it was like about eight months. um, Wow. Just, you know, because, and it's a cool place to live and kind of took a break from working as a nurse and um, was like a nanny for a bit. So it was kind of a nice little relaxing break to just hang out in the mountains and ski and climb. And, and then, uh, yeah, came here. Yeah. that's. <laughs> Did a, you, Oh, go ahead. Christopher. I was just going to say remark Chamonix, Mammoth yeah. Lakes, right? <laughs> yeah, Lake, really. Chamonix, you know, it's like wow, competition. So, did you totally. know you wanted to come back to the U.S. or were you just kind of like, I'm going to go to France and see if I end up staying here? You know, it was it was something I did want to like try out just to see how it would play out. But I think in the end, I really enjoyed my career within public health, and mm-hmm. I wanted to continue to work within it. So. I couldn't do that being in Europe. And so like mammoth was kind of like this right combination of like being able to explore the mountains, but also be able to focus on my career. So. And did you grow up in California? I didn't. I'm from golden Colorado. Um, Born and raised there, moved to California probably about, I want to say like eight years ago. Um, So I, I first lived in Santa Cruz um, Mm -hmm. and then I moved, to Europe and then here. Wow. Awesome. Very cool. But those are all kind of outdoor oriented places, even Santa Cruz. So yeah, for sure. (laughs) Very different than what I was used to. You know, I never lived by the ocean before. So it was really cool to have that experience. And, but I would for sure say I I enjoy the mountains quite a bit. I couldn't live away from them. (laughs) Well, had, let me ask you this. Had you visited the Eastern Sierra prior to applying? So you, were you familiar yes. with it? Yeah. Uh, so when I was living in Santa Cruz, I came up to the Tahoe and Eastern Sierra region quite a bit for skiing and climbing. So I knew it was quite magical up here. And, and I also knew how rural it was. So like, and it, it was exciting because I always wanted to do rural public health nursing. Um, and so it was a great opportunity for me to do that. <laughs> so tell us a little bit about what that entails, you know, being a rural public health nurse and how, how is that different from being a nurse in a more suburban or urban setting? Yeah. So I'll compare it to like my work in Santa Cruz, for example, like it's a higher population. So you're going to have like your um, departments that Mm -hmm. like very siloed ways of working within public health. So I was only working in communicable disease when I was in Santa Cruz. Um, Here I work in communicable disease. I also work with moms, babies, teens. I also um, do STD testing. I go to the school sometimes and do health education. I'm kind of doing vaccination clinics. Like I'm just like all over the place and I get to travel within, you know, the County to go to the different areas versus like my other work in Santa Cruz. I was just kind of in the office for most Mm -hmm. of the time. I wasn't really in the field much unless we had like a major outbreak where I needed to go out and interview people. But for the most part, like 
you're kind of just in your one little track and but with rural health it's like you're wearing like 20 different hats on any given day <laughs> well and you do you pour because I see you at so many meetings that yeah. I have to go to I I don't know how now I don't know how you do it all <laughs> I don't know either <laughs> well you know one of the things I like about my job and Stacey, we we've chatted about this before is that the, the rural aspect does kind of force you out into the different communities more than mm-hmm. say working in an urban system. And, you know, I really love that about Mono County getting out and seeing, you know, going out to Benton and going up to Colville and Bridgeport and all the other places away from my office in your experience, Jacinda, is there something that you in that whole traveling the County process that you, something that you learned about the Eastern Sierra or our communities that's unexpected that you didn't expect or something that surprised you? Um, you know, not really. I mean, I, I find that everywhere I go, like people are so like welcoming and caring and just like, um, I like, for example, like our flu vaccine clinics that we do every year, Mm -hmm. we go to all the different areas within the County and, and I love them because every year I get to see the same people and they remember me and, right. and they're just so like, you know, warm and caring and excited to see me. I'm excited to see them. And I feel the same way within like Mammoth too, like, and people are so appreciative of any services that we provide. Um, I mean, it's, it's cool to go to the different areas cause they, they can feel so drastically different (laughs) culturally to just the landscape and um that I guess that would be probably the surprising thing but I I do find there's a lot of um while it's you know population changes it's you know same good people everywhere (laughs) it is a small community despite being such geographically a large county yeah you know it's it's six it's like two degrees of separation between every person so do you find that you have a favorite like one thing one part of your job that's like your favorite thing to do um I think because I've worked within communicable disease for a while I I do get kind of excited for that work on a kind of a nerdy level <laughs> where it's like when I get like a, an interesting case or a, a disease that I don't see very often, I'm like, Oh, this is fascinating. I'm going to research this and like get to, it just kind of sparks my, um, yeah, I just get excited about it. Like, <laughs> um, but it's like on a weird level that most people are like, why would you get excited about diseases? <laughs> <laughs> Makes sense to me. Someone had better get, be getting excited about them. That's, That's how right. the treatments get created. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> For sure. <laughs> so obviously work takes up a big part of your life because you're so have so many responsibilities. But what do you like to do when you're not working? Well, um, I mean, I guess one of my biggest hobbies would be climbing. I've um, started climbing whenever I was a teen back in Colorado. So it's it's been a big part of who I am and where it takes me. And I've traveled the world through climbing. So it's, it's something that I continue to do and enjoy. It 
you know, no matter what stage I'm in with climbing, whether I'm climbing hard or I'm not climbing hard, I love it either way. Um, I do like to ski and snowboard, um, but it's kind of more like one of those things where it's just like, well, what are you going to do in the wintertime? Might as well slide on some snow. And, <laughs> <laughs> and do, you go, do you go down to like the Owens Gorge area and climb I, down there in the winter? Yes. Yeah. It's quite nice because I live in June now. And so it's, it can be quite cold and mm-hmm. um, it's nice to go down there and just have like a little summer break where it can be like t-shirt and, you know, be in the sun. And it's, it's great. Isn't it crazy how you can just drive, yeah. you know, like 40 minutes and you're in a, like a different ecosystem. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> I like how whenever I just like go hiking and, you know, you hike up the side of a steep hill or something and you like, I'm all huffing and puffing. And then I run into some climbers with all their gear and they're climbing and they've just done the same hike I did. And I'm like, how do you have the strength to, to lift yourself? <laughs> do you, have you tried ice climbing at all in the area? Ooh, yes, I do ice climb as well. I've been actually doing a lot of that this season because the ice has been really good in June. Um, and I, I just started leading too. So that I'm like kind of, moving up the steps with a nice mm-hmm. climbing. So it's been really fun. Is That's it terrifying? It is. It's absolutely terrifying. <laughs> I would be totally, I'm terrified to walk on ice. Yeah. I can't. I mean, it feels really good to have sharp objects, you know, to, to stick into the ice. Like that feels good. And it, there's something very um, unique about ice climbing that it's like, it's like you're using all your senses. You're, you're hearing, like you learn how to hear what's good ice, what's bad ice. Like, is that a good stick? Is that not a good stick to, um, you know, the feeling of it, like feeling like, I mean, it's a great way to get out anger because <laughs> you're just smashing ice the whole way. Up. Um, but like the, the aspect of having sharp objects on your hands and feet is also terrifying. Cause if you're leading, then you're like, well, yeah, that's not great to fall when you have <laughs> sharp objects and you're, but it's, you know, I'm doing it in a pretty safe way. So I'm okay. I'm, so my heart rate has gone up like a hundred percent. Just like thinking about that. I'm like hyperventilating. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> when I, I'm so impressed um, when you're preparing now, you said you're starting to lead climbs. Yeah. So what is the preparation for that must be kind of insane. Um, I think it just, for me, it was just about time, like getting enough uh, climbing time on ice to where I'm I'm comfortable. I feel secure in what I'm doing, that there's not going to be the likelihood of me falling is going to be pretty low because, especially because I'm doing like low angle climbs or things within my ability. Um, and, and I've practiced, you know, screwing in the ice screws and um, have done kind of like mock leads, they say, just to practice what it would be like to lead. And then leading, it was just like, oh, yeah, this is this isn't that much different than what I was doing before. But it's also really terrifying. <laughs> <because> there's <laughs> like an added consequence to things. But, yeah. Well, does do you find that? mentally like the side of you that's a 
public health nurse, a medical <laughs> professional, is like, okay, you have to be extra careful here. This is a really crazy activity. You could get seriously, oh, yeah. seriously hurt. Yeah. I think I, I think about all the aspects probably too much sometimes just because I'm like, yeah, I don't want to get hurt. And, and actually in all my years of climbing, ice climbing, skiing, I've never gotten hurt, knock on wood, because I'm so like, uh, I think of all the consequences all the time <laughs> and like want to do things so cautiously right. that, um, that, yeah, there's, yeah. I feel pretty safe. Whatever I'm doing, I feel pretty safe. Do you notice there, you know, there's been a lot of about climbing and climbers in the, in, you know, kind of out there in, in the social media and with the, the big climbing movie that won all those awards a couple of years ago. Yeah. Do you, have you noticed a big increase in the number of people who want to learn to climb or, or want to join that community? Most definitely. Yeah. There's been a, a huge surge in climbers and, and I think it's a great thing. Um, while it can be, uh, tough to, you know, because accessing the outdoors, we want to do it in a way that's not going to, to harm the environment and we want people to do it safely, but I think it's a great thing. Obviously I did it, started doing it as a new person too. And it really like helped my mental health. It like, opened up all these doors for me and as a young person. And so I think it's wonderful. Um, and I know also like just having, well, we don't really have like major gems in our areas cause the outdoors is kind of our, our gym, mm-hmm. but, uh, in like cities, like there's so many climbing gyms. Like when I go back mm-hmm. home to Colorado, I remember there used to only be like three climbing gyms and now there's probably plus 20 climbing gyms. So to wow. think about all the, the people who now, um, are climbing and they all want to get outdoors eventually too. Um, maybe not all of them cause it's also fun just to climb inside. <laughs> um, <laughs> <controlled> setting. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's a lot of people now. Well, it's great too. In our area, um, you see the other kinds of supports coming up, like your, your comments about wanting to, um, be respectful of the landscape that you're using and, um, you know, the Eastern Sierra Interpretive Association has those climbers coffees where, mm-hmm. you know, people come out and they, they really try to educate people from outside the area. Like, you know, be respectful of the brush, you know, watch where you yeah. park, bring out what you bring in, all that kind of stuff. And it's so good to see that and see people yeah. engaging with that. Yeah, I totally agree. Have you been able to do like more getting out more lately? You know, now things are calming down a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. I'm slowly like increasing how much I'm able to do things. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it, there was a, a bit where I had to be within cell service for a while and right. wasn't it? Cause like going down the gorge, you're disconnecting. Right. And so like, I now have the luxury to do that again. And it's great. (laughs) That's awesome. We're all looking forward to those opportunities. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Jacinda, we always ask our guests, um, because this is at heart, a book podcast, even though it's about the Eastern Sierra, we always like to ask, um, about, uh, reading. Do you have a book you'd, you'd recommend to our listeners? Yeah. So, um, recently I finished the hidden Valley road, book um i read that too did you <laughs> i thought it was so good um and i 
and I recommend it to like everyone because I've had, you know, from my, my father's now reading it, he maybe finished it already, um, to like my peers, like, it's just a really good story. Um, and enjoy learning about a family and, and, you know, it was a lot of struggles, but also like learning how they, they got through it and, um, and just learning about where we've come within mental health and diagnosis and treatment. So can so, you can you say a little more about the family? It's a pretty wild story. Yeah, I, I I'll do my best. <laughs> but I, I think it was about uh there's like ten kids and I believe it was like six or seven of them developed schizophrenia. Right. And they at that time there wasn't it was difficult to diagnose and they didn't have a lot of treatments and um, they also didn't know about, you know, that this was something that you could pass, be within a family, like it, it can be passed it on. And um, so there was a lot of things happening within that family. At the same time, things were happening within the world of science and learning about schizophrenia. And so it was cool to see that the two stories kind of align and see how that family story was able to help science to learn about um yeah, mental health and, and yeah, pretty challenging story, I think, for a family, especially at a time when I think everyone's kind of wanting to be that nuclear, like, perfect family, like, and they tried so hard, but, you know, we're, we all are within our own spectrum of mental health, and we can't expect that of each other, right? That's right. And, but yet they, you know, they, they did a good job. They did what they could. And so you see their, their challenges within that. Yeah. That book came out to great reviews. It, we should tell our listeners it's by Robert Kolker. It came out, I think a couple of years ago. Um, and I, one of the things that I find impressive about it is that it's one of these titles that makes a serious mental health issue readable to the mm-hmm. average person. Yeah. This hit like Oprah put it on her list. It was yeah. a top 10 list pick from many, many review sources. Um, and it just illustrates how, you know, we're more open and talking about mental health and mental wellness today, these days than we were when this family was, you know, going through what it went through. Yeah, definitely. I would warn listeners that it, there are some triggering things yeah. within the book. Um, so if you have a history yeah. of trauma, um, mm-hmm. related sexual trauma or physical trauma, I would be cautious because, it is. There are some really intense things that they talk about, but I yep. agree. I I think it's it's pretty cool how transparent they were with the whole story. Yeah, it re- it really took a lot of courage for this family to open up in the way that they did, and yeah. over over so many years right. too. Um, it we did talk about this book on the podcast about a year or so ago, and um, nice. yeah, I'm I'm like you. I just. I thought it was great and I learned so much and, um, and, you know, learn too about empathy, you mm-hmm. know, just, it just kicks that up a notch in you for, yeah. you know, to remember that you've got to have empathy and grace for others and keep that in mind. So yeah. Yeah. Great book. Yeah. Empathy and grace for others is a 
good theme <laughs> to end the conversation on. <laughs> the book, again, is Hidden Valley Road, Inside the Mind of an American Family by Robert Coker. We've got copies at the library. I'm sure you can find it at bookstores and other libraries as well. Jacinda, thank you so much for taking the time yes, to, thank to meet you. with us today. Yeah, thanks for having me. Great talking to you both. It was Look, great talking to you two and not in a meeting. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, listeners, thank you for joining us for another episode of the Oxygen Starved Podcast. Remember, you can always find us on our website, oxygenstarvedpodcast.com, and follow us on Instagram at O2Starved. We also have a, a joining Facebook page as well where you can ask us questions, leave us comments. We love to hear your responses to these episodes as well. And if if you want to find out any more information about that book, just ping us there and we will help you do so. In the meantime, enjoy your reading and we look forward to connecting with you again in a couple weeks on our next episode. Bye. Take care. Thanks for joining us here for Oxygen Star. Our outro music, Iron Bacon, is composed and performed by Kevin McLeod. In Competech.com, Creative Commons by Attribution 3.0 license.